Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We broadcast at the same time every week from the studios in Phoenix, Arizona, Voice America Business. We really are a global show. We go right across the world. And uh, if you're listening for the very first time, this is the radio show for business where we tell it exactly the way it is. We try to bring you news and information that can help you build your business. We're not interested in whether... Xerox has gone down five cents this week or last week. We don't care about the machinations of that sort of stuff. We talk about helping you build your business. And, uh, you know, we know that entrepreneurs drive the economy, provide most of the jobs, provide most of the growth. So we're here to support you. And uh, we're very proud of the fact that we're the number one radio show globally for entrepreneurs. And uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to us every week and giving us such great support. We really do appreciate it. So let's look at what's making news this week. DreamWorks Jeffrey Katzenberg predicted that one major change to the way we watch movies is imminent, well, by imminent, in the next few years. He believes that very soon we'll pay for the size of the movies, size of the screen for the movies that we watch, not the availability of the movies. So, Theatres are now competing with streaming video libraries that offer thousands of titles for much less than a movie ticket. Well, Katzenberg believes that there's an even greater change coming with dramatically shorter theatrical reruns um, and pay-per-inch video on demand. So um, he thinks the model will be that we won't pay for the window of availability, a movie will come out and we'll have 17 days or three weekends to see it at the theatre. Interestingly, 17 days represents 95% of all the theatre revenue for 98% of all movies. So movies come out and in the first three weeks, they generate 95% of all the money that they're going to pull out of the theatres. So his prediction is that movies will be in the theatres for 17 days. On the 18th day, they'll be available everywhere and you'll be able to um, watch them and pay depending on the screen you're watching them on. I'm not sure how they work that out, but if you're watching it at the movies... It'll be 15 bucks. If you've got a 75-inch TV, it might be 4 bucks. If you're watching it on your smartphone, it might be $1.99. 
And if you're watching it on your watch, might be 99 cents. So, although I'm not a, I'm not a great fan of, of watches <laughs> that provide you um, entertainment because the screen's so bloody small you can hardly see them. And uh, you lose, you know, a movie, great thing about watching a movie on a big screen is you get the detail and you get the feeling and the atmosphere and the excitement, the adrenaline rush. Watching it on a watch, I mean, I'd rather watch that, you know, an old-fashioned watch and watch the hands go round. It costs you nothing. <laughs> it's just as entertaining. Um, so if that formula comes into being, it'll totally reinvent the, the um, movie industry. And it'll be interesting to see just how much money people are prepared to put into blockbuster movies when there's um, a totally different formula. And Katzenberg reckons that we'll see this shift within the next 10 years. Now, essentially now, um, in the United States anyway, a theatrical run depends on how well the movie's doing in the theatre. I mean, as long as it continues to put bums on seats, then it'll stay there. Um, and in some countries, uh, people pay and buy a movie for two months and uh, they just move it down to a smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller theatre as the weeks progress and uh, towards the end of the run, which they're stuck with, you know, you get five people in the theatre. So a movie with a three-week run would be, you know, it's a problem in the current environment. But if Katzenberg's right and <laughs> with that sort of experience and that sort of connection and that sort of position in the industry, you'd assume that he's probably pretty pretty accurate. This um, model could be the way that Hollywood slashes their print and advertising costs considerably. You know, with a movie, you know, it could be a $150 million movie and then it costs you another $100 million to promote the thing. Um, we could cut that cost dramatically, which would make movies a lot more viable. However, you know, there's some movies that come along that um, just keep on making money way beyond that 17-day mark, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they react. If you think about um, Disney's Frozen, for example, an unbelievable hit that broke box office records right, left, and center. Um, I mean, this opened on the 29th of November, I think, and uh, 67 million in the opening weekend became the number one all-time Thanksgiving debut. The following week, it did 31 million. Then uh, 22 million the third week. So it took 120 million domestically in those three weeks. And uh, now that's not a lot of money. Um, for a movie that costs $150 million. So 17 days in the theatre would not be enough to make it a success financially. But it ran in the theatres for 23 weeks. In fact, in a lot of theatres, it's still running. And it earned, it's earned so far over $400 million domestically and another $743 million overseas 
for a total of um, over $1.1 billion. So if they had have pulled it after 17 days, they were at $120 million domestically and it's ended up taking 400. So you'd be leaving 300 million on the table because you cut short the um, theatrical release. I'm not sure that too many people would be too thrilled about that. And of course, the other problem is you could say that, um, you know, for most movies, you'd have the 17 day rule, but for others, you wouldn't. The trouble is until you actually release it, you don't know what sort of business it's going to do. I mean, you know, the guys in Hollywood are pretty good at um, predicting how movies will do, but um, I'm thinking about something like um, The Lone Ranger with Johnny Depp. I mean, everybody, including me, thought that was going to be a runaway smash, and it was a bomb, to say the least. So... You know, you might say that Frozen is an example of you know, one of the two percent of movies that um, take more money after the seventeen days than they did before it. But it's 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 pretty hard to think of the studios leaving, you know, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollars on the table by cutting short theatrical release. And if you look at a more recent example, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, it made $95 million on its opening weekend, and then the next couple of weeks brought in $41 million and $25 million. So if the 17-day uh, rule was um, in place now, Buena Vista would have missed out on the $16 million that it took in its third week. So sure, it's not the $200 million that uh, Frozen took afterwards, but still, I can't see any studio wanting to leave $16 million on the table. On the other hand, if you knew that the movie was only going to be in the theatre for three weeks, instead of saying, oh, well, I'll wait, you know, I'll put it off, I'll go in a month when the theatres aren't so crowded or whatever, um, you might turn around and say, well, it's only on for 17 days, I better, better get my ass into the theatre now. So it might create this urgency to um, to go and see the movie and bolster that the numbers on those first seventeen days. And mm, however, I guess there's another side to that too. If you knew that in seventeen days you were going to be able to watch the um, the movie on your PC or your tablet or your iPhone or your watch or whatever, you might just say, well. I want to see it, but 17 days isn't long to wait, so I'll um, I'll hang out and wait so I can watch it on my iPhone. Mm. So that might hurt the box office totals for those 17 days. But what I do think it'll mean is that uh, studios will probably scale back considerably on budgets. I mean, if you're going to, if you're producing something for a phone or a tablet. Um, you don't need a lot of the quality and the detail that you do on a big screen. So, um, not that cutting budgets is a bad thing, but because a big budget doesn't necessarily guarantee a great film, or even if it's a great film, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to be a successful film. But a smaller one offers 
lots of additional obstacles for for filmmakers. And uh, hmm, but that might be the way we're headed, as that um, the industry says that or believes that movies is it's not a growth business. It's um, if you take into account ticket price rises, it's been stagnating. So um, this might explain why DreamWorks is diversifying with short-form content on television and on digital platforms. It's more profitable. You've got a lot more eyeballs that are going to watch it on a tablet, although tablet sales are shrinking, but um, on a something like a, a Samsung phone where you've got a big screen. That might be the future. We might be heading off to the theatre. Now, IDC, speaking of tablets, IDC's just released its estimates for the global first-year quarter tablet shipments, and it showed that the market absolutely crawled um, to just a 4% growth compared to shipments for the same time last year. Um, total tablet shipments were about $50 million for the quarter compared with um, 48.5 million for the first quarter last year. So tablet growth has really slowed down. Apple and Amazon both got hammered. Apple um, sales were down, Apple tablet sales were down 16.1%, but Amazon tablet sales were down 47.1%. And because of this decline, um, Apple lost an unbelievable eight points of um, of market share compared compared to the same time last year. So these two companies really dragged the market down in terms of growth. But you know, with the new Samsung phone, I know a hell of a lot of people are using the Samsung and not worrying about their tablet. I mean, even though the Samsung's big, you can still put it in your pocket. Well, those tablets, are, you know, they're cumbersome. You've got to lug them around. It's an extra thing to carry. You know, it's um, with women, it's all right. You can probably stick them in your handbag, but with a bloke, you've got to carry them. Pain in the neck. Um, Android vendors, though, did very well. Samsung grabbed five more percentage points of market share, and they had a growth of 32%. And um, Lenovo post the highest growth of all the vendors with 224% growth. So, But it's on a pretty poor market share. It's only um, about 4%. So they had a, a low base to start from, but still not a bad growth. But on the whole, uh, tablet growth has got to be seen as disappointing when a year ago it was doubling. So um, it's gone from doubling to... You know, lousy growth of about four um, percent, but I think I think the days of tablets are pretty much over. Um, now Samsung, which is killing them with their phones, and I must admit I've been a an iPhone devotee for a long time, but I've got to the stage where I reckon that um, Samsung's butte, and if Apple doesn't come up with something really quick, really good, really quick then I will be moving over to um, to Samsung. And Samsung's now looking to one-up Apple in the growing, you know, in that 
mobile healthcare space. You know, as we know, and we've talked about it a lot on this program, um, healthcare on mobile is really where everybody seems to be focusing, and um, Apple's been hiring a huge number of people in that space, and you know, everybody thought that they would um, own the market when they come out. Well, Samsung is hosting a health-focused event on May 28th in San Francisco, and that's just days before Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. And uh, the you know the speculation is that Apple will launch its um, the highly anticipated health book app. But Samsung's ended the health, the mobile health market with the launch of its own fitness tracker, which again another wearable, and we'll see how those go. But um, this Samsung event will presumably be about the company upstaging, upstaging Apple and making inroads into um, mobile health apps and software. Interesting to see. Speaking of, vari- of uh, wearables, and I'm not a big fan of wearables, I must admit, so far, um, sources with ties to Apple say they've got no plans to unveil its highly anticipated iWatch smartwatch device in a couple of weeks which I think, I don't know, Apple just seems to be missing the boat all the way down the line. They've they've just lost their innovation edge. Instead, they'll use um, their um, developer conference to focus on software with the debut of the um, new iteration of the iOS platform, which is iOS 8, as well as its desktop platform as well, which is the... um, OS 10.1. There's also going to be no new Apple TV hardware. So they just look like they're stagnating. Facebook's attempting to turn itself into a bona fide mobile platform, and they're looking to woo developers, but it just mightn't work. Um, Tons of highly successful apps, including uh, Facebook's newly acquired and sensational growth WhatsApp, have succeeded and built massive audiences without digging into Facebook's user network. But in this regard, Facebook's biggest competitor is the smartphone address book. Apps can bypass networks like Facebook and connect users within their app directly through a user's phone contact list. Now, the other day, I was talking to a um, an online retailer and he was saying that Shopping cart abandonment, abandonment, it's the biggest headache he has. Um, However, it seems to be a huge opportunity, I reckon. Shopping cart abandonment, that's where shoppers put items in their online shopping carts and then leave before completing the purchase. You know, it's the bane of the online retail industry. But it can also be a big opportunity. Approximately $4 That's 4,000 million million worth of merchandise will be abandoned in online shopping carts this year. And about 63% of that is potentially recoverable. So that's over $2 trillion worth of merchandise left sitting in shopping carts is is retrievable. And, um, And shopping cart abandonment is increasing. 
and will continue to do so as more customers shift to online and mobile shopping. In 2013, as many as 74% of online shopping carts were abandoned by shoppers. Now, that's up from 72% in 2012 and only 69% in 2011. So it's increasing fairly rapidly. You know, but it doesn't have to be a lost sale since three-quarters of shoppers who have abandoned shopping carts say they plan to return to the retailer's website or the store to make the purchase at a later date. So online-only retailers at a real disadvantage to multi-channel retailers because, you know, they've got fewer channels through which to recover these lost sales. So retailers can reduce the rate of abandonment and increase conversions just by streamlining the checkout process and by retargeting shoppers with emails after they've left the site. So you know when they've left the site. So if you send them an email within three hours after they abandon the cart, an average 40% open it and 20% click through and, and for a sale. So if you're an online retailer, you need to regard an abandoned shopping cart as part of a complex series of steps that a consumer might take before finally making a purchase, but that shows that they're interested in your brand, they're interested in your product, and... Uh, Technology that helps retailers collect and leverage online shopping cart data, now that's probably a really good investment. Now, this entrepreneur, this entrepreneur, this show, show is all about entrepreneurs. We salute you, whether you've just opened a dry cleaners or you've de- developed a new app or you've got a new engine that's going to do whatever. We salute you. We don't care if you're 114 or 14, or 5. If you're an entrepreneur and you've got enough guts to get out there and give it a go, we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business, we're big fans, and we'll do anything that we can to assist you. Now, you're looking to the Bob, listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and the whole reason we're here is to help you become more successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business whatsoever, don't hesitate to email me. It's bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or I'll email you directly. Um, after the break, I'm going to be speaking with Ron Kaufman. He, he lives in um, Hong Kong. He's a great guy. Uh, he's the world leading authority on customer service. He's the author of 14 books and uh, his latest book, Uplifting Service, uplifting service, has been a huge success. Um, Ron's one of the most sought-after educators, consultants, thought leaders, and customer service speakers on the topic of achieving superior service, and we all know how important that is in business today. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to matter where you are in the world these days. Every time I pick up a newspaper, no matter where I am, it's all about the government tightening the screws on the middle and working class and encouraging the wealthy. Well, that's the way it seems to be to me. Now, I'm not against helping business. I'm all for it, and particularly small business that are building the economies. But I think hands, handouts to rich and to businesses is really a bit beyond the pale when the rest of the economy is suffering. And uh, this reminded me of a quote attributed to Ronald Reagan, and I love this quote. Government is like a baby's elementary canal, a very healthy appetite at one end, 
and absolutely no responsibility at the other. I love that. And uh, I guess the government that robs Peter to pay Paul can always count on Paul voting for him. (laughs) Pretty true. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I will be back with Ron in just a few moments. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. The show designed to assist SMEs to implement simple disciplines in their business that will make an immediate improvement to their profitability. In this segment, we interview an expert in an area that is of critical importance to business. About 10 years ago, I worked with my next guest, Ron Kaufman. I'm sure we were comparing notes earlier in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And I was blown away by his extraordinary knowledge and practical applications to improve customer service. Those of you who listen to my show regularly will appreciate that I believe that knock-your-socks-off customer service that creates viral word of mouth is the major key to the success of any business. Ron is the real deal. He's a graduate of Brown University, studied in France, London and Berkeley, and lives in Singapore. He's been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and has made loads of TV appearances in the States and elsewhere. Ron's the author of Uplifting Service, and he's got 14 other books on service, business, and inspiration. Ron, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Show. Bob, it's a pleasure to be here with you and all your listeners. It's great to talk to you again. Nice to hear your voice. Uh, In your book, Uplifting Service... You say that the world is in a service crisis. Why do you say that? Well, the crisis is one that's affecting all of us. First of all, getting good quality customer service is not always easy to do these days. Anyone who's listening right now would know that from the position of being a customer. 
But the other part of the crisis is that many service providers are frustrated to the point of almost being resentful or cynical. So you've got a lose-lose situation going on both sides. And since service is so prevalent in our lives, anyone who has a small business is a service provider, but we also have government service. We've got military service. If you go to church, it's called a religious service. Service is everywhere, and yet it's not being well done. So this is a crisis that actually touches everyone. It's interesting because my perspective is that, um, you know, give customers great service has been a mantra for as long as I can remember. It's been just drummed into everybody. And companies spend millions of dollars on customer service training each year. Why the hell isn't it working? Well, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, Bob? They're spending millions of dollars on customer service training, and yet every year it seems to wear off if it even works in the first place. Hmm. And what's going wrong there is that we're not fundamentally educating people about the foundational principles of service. We're treating it like training, like here's the script or do this or do that. And it's very shallow, a lot of what it's being taught, like the customer is always right, which we know is not the case. In the book, Uplifting Service, one of the things that I've done is revealed the fundamental service principles that everyone in an organization should understand and be able to apply, whether they're an internal service provider, like the finance department, manufacturing, warehousing, legal, or those who are facing the external customer. All of us need to be able to speak and use a common service language, and that's missing today. Yeah, interestingly, um, I have this sneaking suspicion that service in most industries is actually improving. But because we expect so much more and we're in an era of instant gratification, the level of service actually appears to be going backwards when in fact it's not. The gap's getting bigger between what we want and what we're getting, but service is actually marginally improving. You yes, I agree with I know I agree with you, Bob. I think service is improving, and that's partly due to technology. It's partly due to the tight economic times, and people realize they need to keep the good customers that they've got. But what you pointed out in terms of technology also has opened up this world of social media. And so the risk of even one negative service experience being delivered by a member of your staff or by somebody on your team, that risk has shot up. The ability of things to go viral through social media, and you know how much people love to complain. So then what's required in an organization to succeed in service is that every single person in the organization recognize that they are a service provider. And the leaders of organizations, whether they're large or small, has to actually build a culture of service that supports every service provider to continually provide great service to every colleague and customer every day. You're only as strong as your weakest link, aren't you? You put it very clearly, Bob. That's the case. Um, Now, one would have thought that technology would have made it so much easier for people to give fantastic service. Um, Yes. Why hasn't it? Well, technology has a very specific role. It should track. It should measure. It should deploy. It's ideal for making sure that accuracy is in place, that timing is handled. But technology will never be able to replace, nor should it, that human-to-human interface. And it is people understanding, listening to the concerns of other people, and then responding to those concerns with appropriate service. That's a human function. 
So I say that technology should lift the load. It should take the burden off the service provider to let that human being do what only human beings can do. Unfortunately, our world has gotten so fascinated by what technology can do that many people have forgotten how important they are and their colleagues are in actually providing that human interface of service. Yeah, I think too many people in an organization think that it's somebody else's role to provide good customer service and they forget all about internal customer service as well as external customer service. That's a great point. In fact, the term internal customer is one that I recognize, I recommend that my clients not use. I say that inside the organization, rather than thinking of ourselves as customers to each other, let's think of ourselves as service partners. We're here to work closely together to do the best job we can to provide a great service experience to the real customer, and that's the one who has a choice about where to bring his or her money. Yeah, true. Now, when most people think of service, they think about retail, restaurants, and I guess generally they think about the hospitality industry. Is that where you see the most demand? Well, it's fascinating. Those industries that are traditional in service, retail, hospitality, food and beverage, transportation, they've been working on this for a long time. It's in so many other industries where products are so easily copied today, where commoditization and price competition has almost eliminated the ability for one company to differentiate from another. That's where we're seeing a huge step up by really leading-edge, forward-thinking business owners and business leaders who say, the best way for me to differentiate from my competition is not based on my product or my price. So based on the quality of service experience that we create, the value we create through that service that will keep our customers coming back. And, of course, customer service is much broader than just um, uh, sort of giving people a product in a friendly way. It's about providing information. It's about providing great um, technical support. It's about making sure that the, um, the trades person that comes around to your house doesn't show his bum crack. I mean, it's a whole bunch of things, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, but it is, a, and they're all things we great, forget about. That's all terrific, Bob. You got me there on the bum crack. <laughs> um, in the book, Uplifting Service, right at the beginning, I provide a definition that I think really should almost be taught in schools, which is this. Service is taking action to create value for someone else. And as you pointed out, what different customers value at different times is going to vary. Sometimes what they want is speed. Can we get this done fast? But the same person at another time could say, whoa, 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 slow down. Explain to me how this works. They may want education or information. And so what we need to do is educate our people that service is taking action to create value for another person. And the first step in that is to understand what does that other person value and realize that great service is giving them that. Yep. not just following a standard routine procedure. Yeah, that's, that's really true. Um, you say the customer service is a two-way street. What do, you, what do you exactly mean by that? I exactly agree with that. Look, there's always the service provider, but the other half of customer service is the customer. And one of the points that I make in the book is that each person, when you are a customer, there's a lot that you can actually do to increase the quality of service you get and therefore increase your own satisfaction. And one of it starts by realizing that that other person serving you, hey, they're a human being too. 
and they've got a job to do. And if you bring a good mood and a sense of appreciation and clarity about your needs to them, it makes it so much easier for them to serve you. That old phrase of what goes around comes around, it's really true. You know, the attitudes are contagious, positive and negative. Yeah, people tend to have a a bit of a um, uh, look down their nose at, at some people that serve them and help them, don't they? Yeah, well, that's really a very inappropriate thing. It's one of the things that I adore about Australia, by the way. My wife's Australian, is that, you know, it's good day, mate. And how you going? And we're in this together. And I think that that way of seeing and being in the world is an incredibly positive one. All of us in the world are here to be in service to each other. So let's not have any of this looking down the nose at whoever may be taking care of you and thinking just because you're the customer, you're on a high horse. We're in this together. We're uplifting service together. I I can say that, you know, Australians might have a great attitude towards people, but that customer service in Australia in the main, I think, is dreadful Um, compared with the U.S. You know, I've lived in California for donkey's years, and I think the customer service is just so much better um, in, in many, many ways. But... Well, in many ways, and I think worldwide, all of us realize, as you pointed out earlier, that customer expectations are rising. And so the quality of service that each of us needs to learn to provide and our organizations need to provide also needs to keep stepping up, too. And the less competition there is, the the poorer the service is. You know, if you're in Australia and your phone goes down and you ring Telstra, you spend two hours on the phone to Telstra and they'll come and see you sometime next Tuesday between 7 a.m. and midnight. Um, In the States, you ring, I'll just use um, Time Warner as a, their mic provider you ring Time Warner and there's somebody there within sort of two hours and they almost pinpoint to the minute when they're going to be there it's a it's a whole different ballgame anyway well I'm, I'm pleased to report that on my Christmas vacation I was in Esperance Australia and my mother-in-law had an issue with Telstra and she called them and they actually gave her great service so and the reason I point that out is not to disagree with you but to point out that the I think the entire world is recognizing that this thing service is not just a soft, fuzzy, nice to have, but it's actually become a fundamental and critical element of success. It always has been, but even more so as we go into the future. Um, You've worked all over the world. Do different cultures have different service standards and expectations? Some cultures better at uh, customer service than others? Uh, you know, it's, it, it, first of all, the first part is absolutely true, that in different cultures, people do have different expectations about what it is that you should do that's great service. But what's common is that everybody's looking for a great service experience. Yes. So once again, it comes back to the service provider whose job needs to be understanding the person that they're serving and not saying, well, what's my procedure, what's my checklist, what's my process, I'm doing the right thing, but rather what would be the right thing for that person given their background, given their needs, given their situation. And in today's very multicultural world where SMEs can serve people from all over the world and will need people from all over the world, that sensitivity on our part as service providers really needs to keep stepping up. Are you difficult to please as a customer? I'm actually one of the best people to have as your customer because in the event that I'm not pleased, in the event that I am pleased, I'll let you know. But in the event that I'm not pleased, I can actually help to diagnose the situation and give specific actionable recommendations to a service provider about 
exactly what they can do to step up and become a better service provider. And that's what really the whole book is about. It's not just a bunch of nice stories or best practice examples, but taking those examples and then showing the readers specifically what the action steps are that they can take to be able to improve service and deliver a higher quality and value of service at each point to each customer every day and from any position. Ron, it's been great speaking to you again. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your absolutely frenetic schedule. I thought I was busy, but boy, you're busy. And if you'd like to know more about Ron, go to his website, www.ronkaufman.com. I'll do that again, www.ronkaufman.com and get his book, Uplifting, uplifting Service at your favourite bookstore or at Amazon.com. I'll be back with you in a couple of minutes with the second half of our show just after this short When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit here. Radio show comes to you same time every week on the Voice America Business Network. Interesting night on the stock exchange last night. Um, Alibaba filed its IPO papers yesterday, and uh, for those of you who don't know, Alibaba touches 80% of all e-commerce transactions in China, and uh, following the IPO, and you think about this, Facebook IPO, $15 billion. Alibaba is going to be valued at around about $245 billion, just behind Google, Amazon, and Microsoft as uh, one of the largest technology companies in the world. Woo, it's going to raise $1 billion in its offering, and it will be listed on the New York Stock Exchange. It's, the company reported profits of $3 billion on $6.5 billion in revenue for the first nine months of uh, 
for the nine months ending December 31st last year. That is incredible. $3 billion profit on $6.5 billion in revenue. So um, uh, that is an increase of more than 300% for profits and 86% for revenue. We It's probably got some challenges, but it's certainly well positioned to face whatever comes up. Um, interestingly, Yahoo owns, I think, 25% of Alibaba, and uh, which takes the um, value of Alibaba stock held by Yahoo to about 26 billion dollars and if you look at their um, the values that they get from holding shares in other people it means the value of Yahoo's core business is about zero so all their value is in stock they hold in other people hmm the um, maybe they ought to get out of business and just hold stock Twitter, Twitter also took a hammering yesterday, 17% down. That's a one hell of a big drop when you're valued at those sort of numbers. Anyway, as I said, interesting day on the stock exchange. Perhaps this um, gives some real credence to people in traditional businesses who think that um, the new tech businesses are way overvalued. I'm not sure where I sit in that camp, but um, the more you look at the numbers, the more they seem mm, pretty inflated. You know, as you know, I'm a business speaker and I give presentations all over the planet. I've spoken in about 53 countries. And it's interesting that um, during question time, whether you're in Iraq, I did a multiple city tour of Iraq. Um, last year, I think, and or whether you're in Berlin or whether you're in London or whether you're in Los Angeles, the questions you get at question time are all the same. You know, people, no matter where they are in the world, no matter what business they're in, all have the same business issues. And so um, that's why I like this um, segment of the show where we answer people's email questions because no matter what business you're in or where you are in the world, and what business the person who's asking the questions is in, it probably has some value to you, whether you're a retailer, a plumber, a landscape gardener, running a dry cleaner, or whether you're in tech. So even though I might be answering a question from somebody who's in window frames, the answer probably applies to you in your business. Now, the first email today comes from Madeline Smithson of Calgary, Canada, who writes, Dear Bob, firstly, I loved your segment last week on why entrepreneurs are different and why people become entrepreneurs. Yeah, that was good, I thought. Um, You know, it takes a certain type of person to become an entrepreneur, and you need to have a pretty thick hide because, Jesus, you take some hammering along the way, not only in business, but often from families and people who have got to share that ride with you. Um. I've thoroughly enjoyed owning my own business, but it's really hard work and you do pay quite a price in terms of relationships and what is called by most people a normal life. However, I would still do it all over again. Bob, I have what is probably a very simple question, 
but as a small business person, why should I use social media? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, a lot of people do and very successfully. We're um, mounting a campaign for a client in Australia, a social media campaign at the moment. It's been enormously successful, but it's taken a lot of planning and a lot of strategy, but um, it's going gangbusters. And, and small businesses everywhere, I think, are quickly realizing how important it is to utilize social media. Um, you've got to create a presence out there in the digital world, and it's a fantastic way to do it. You know, there are billions of people right across the world accessing social media sites daily, hourly, and through their smartphones and their tablets. So it means that if you're a business, you can access people everywhere on the planet 24-7-365. Now, if a social media campaign is completed effectively, this leads to um, increased exposure, customer awareness of your company and your products, it, um, it'll increase your brand equity, it'll increase your sales, it'll increase your repeat business, and all of these things are critical to success. And it uh, seems to me there are five reasons why your small business could should become invested in social media. The firstly, it's unbelievably cost-effective. I was talking to somebody last night who was talking about still running ads in magazines and newspapers and radio and television. I mean, you might as well stand on the street corner and set fire to your money. I mean, none of those vehicles are worth a squirt anymore. Readership's going down. People are time poor, so they're doing other things. You know, if you read the a newspaper, you flick across the ads. If you're watching television, as soon as an ad comes on, you go for a leak. I mean, it's a waste of money. So, you know, promoting a, a business, and most businesses are niche in some way or another, can be bloody expensive if you're doing it the traditional way. But the great appeal of social media is that promotion can be achieved. I wouldn't say free of charge because you've got to put a lot of time and a lot of effort into planning it. But it doesn't cost a lot of money. And, you know, you can reach a hell of a lot of people and very effectively. And with using video, you can create an enormous emotional tie to your product. And, uh, you know, people are out there right across the world just dying to be introduced to your product. All that you've got to do is introduce your business to them. Now, you know, that's not that hard. Promoting a product's never been easier. And uh, if you've got a user-friendly site and effective promotion, and it's never been simpler, even if you haven't had any experience in the digital world. The second reason is because it enables you to get feedback. You know, you know how hard it is to get feedback and how hard it is to get research. And with social media, it's really easy to get feedback and find out what people think. You know, people that go onto social media sites have all got opinions and uh, they're ready to share with anyone and listen. So if you're out there, you know, you mightn't like all the answers you hear, but at least you're going to get a straightforward uh, point of view and it, you know, just might help you to um, 
modify your product. Maybe you have to pivot altogether, but at least you know and you don't waste any money along the way. So if you're a small business, gathering feedback on both your company and your product should be really high up on your agenda. So you not only obtain useful information on your own products, but people can't wait to tell you about the competitors' products and why they use them and what's great about them. So, but, you know, be prepared for some bad feedback too. It's not always good. So many, um, many companies are using social media sites as tools to deal with complaints. Now, somebody who complains is probably an advocate of your, of your product um, and dealing with complaints immediately and effectively and positively is a great way to promote your company because it's been proven that people who have a complaint and have that complaint dealt with effectively become not only a loyal customer but an advocate. And I can, I can, I've had instances of this. I had one not that long ago where I had a really strong complaint with a company whose product I loved and they came galloping in on the white horse and uh, now I recommend them everywhere and uh, still buy their product. In fact, I'm just thinking about it. I probably buy more of their product than I did before. So for customer service, digital media is fantastic. Now, the third reason you should use social media is to maintain contact and build that relationship. It's important to create um, a relationship on social media sites to form business contacts and a loyal customer base. And if you do it effectively, existing customers will recommend you to everybody. And uh, it gives you the ability to immediately keep customers updated on new products, new services, things that you've got happening. Perhaps you can offer discounts for family and friends for introductions or for new people for introductions. And you'll multiply your leadership, your um, readership in such a way that you can't do any other way. So that's the third reason. The fourth reason is that you should invest in social media to expand the borders of your local business. If you're just advertising a local paper or whatever, you're hitting people just around you. By um, using social media, you're hitting people right across the world. And uh, local businesses now can have an incredible reach. And if you've got a unique product or competitive prices or great service, or whatever, then people will, they'll use you. I often buy products from across the world um, that I can get near my house, but it's just as easy if you find a company that you really like and you love what they do, it's just as easy to get it um, from anywhere on the planet, and shipping charges these days aren't bad. And the final reason that you should use digital media is to increase your data The mailing list of any small company is a priceless asset. And as your presence on on the web, um, online increases, your mailing list is going to increase. More people you can contact, more people you can influence, more people you can get to be um, customers, more people that you can get to be advocates 
So an effective social media campaign will assist any small business, doesn't matter who you are or what you are, to reach customers that you hadn't been able to reach before. And that'll produce higher sales and revenue. Now, sorry, what was your name? I forgot, I forgot. Your name, Madeline, I think. Madeline, since you already have a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is my latest book, I will send you a copy of Marketing Magic. It's a book that I wrote um, a few years ago, which also features Brian Tracy, Conrad Levinson and others, and we will send that to you tomorrow. So we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio, we're all about helping small business. That's what it's about. So keep sending your emails and we'll answer them. If we don't answer them on air, we'll respond to you by email, but we will definitely get back to you. Um, Here's another one. I'm not sure that I can answer it in the time remaining, but I'll give it a shot. Dear Bob, thanks for your program. Your information's so easy to understand. I really enjoy it. I had a company come by this morning and give me a free sample of their software program for use for a month. Is this a good strategy to get people to use your product or do you simply get people to try it, possibly not like it, tell their friends they don't like it and you miss out on a number of sales? Jeez, there's a glass glass half empty attitude for you. Don't people appreciate and respect something more if they have to pay for it? Mm. It's not a bad question actually. Giving away your product for free may seem counterintuitive but it could just be the right strategy to spur your sales growth for a small business. Um, of course, giving away your product and service for free isn't the right tactic for every small business. If your costs are high or your product margins are really small, it's probably not the path for you, but giveaways can be a legitimate strategy and an effective way to spur sales and growth for many businesses. Um, you know, you, It doesn't have to be that you give away your product. Um, you know, other giveaways, I'm just trying to think of them. Um, initial service consultations is one. Um, free samples, of course, that we just spoke about. Um, guides or how-to handbooks is a good idea. Um, producing a white paper. Checklists of things to do and how you can use your product. Um they're about all that I can think of off the top of my head, but there are a number of ways to give away something which gets people dedicated to your product. You know, these types of giveaways, um, they demonstrate your commitment to providing value to your customers, and that's always a great thing. Remember, we're here to um, help all small businesses succeed. Now, if you missed my April newsletter and would like to receive my May newsletter, go to bobpritchard.com, bobpritchard.com and register, and I'll see you at the same time next week. Now, if you have a business, my latest book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, is a must-have, and uh, read it. If it doesn't improve your business, drop me an email, and I'll refund your money straight away. So get, get a copy at your local bookstore at Amazon. And uh, don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter. Email me, tweet me, and tell me what it is you want to talk about. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs on Voice America Business Network. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. Have a great week. 
You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.